Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. I'm Matt. <laughs> all right, today we're coming back to the Why We Hate trilogy <laughs> that has taken so long to get back to, and honestly... I'll try to go as fast as I can. I'm going to try to squeeze these last three episodes into one episode of the podcast. But it was a very, very powerful series. It was, and I'm on page 9 of 17 of my notes. <laughs> so, you took a lot of notes. I don't know how far we're going to get. I'm going to try to cruise through as much as I can because some of it's kind of repetitive. But it really did have so much to think about. And obviously... It's been deeply impactful to us or we wouldn't be able to get back to it sooner. It's just taken a lot out of us to even review it. It's been a heavy year. Yeah. It's been a heavy year and it's the 7th of January. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so we're going to start back up with episode 4 of the Why We Hate series called Tools and Tactics. For some reason you're going to be hearing Ben back and forth with his little nails clickety-clack on the floor. And you're just going to have to ignore that. Sorry. So episode four starts out with a journalist named and an author named Jelani Cobb. And they have a quote here that says, we all have the capacity, but what amplifies and spreads hate? So it talks about charismatic leaders using tools and ta tactics to get people to act in ways they otherwise wouldn't. And one of the very first things they start talking about is using the media and slanted propaganda. So basically inciting hatred yeah we used to believe that the news was a very neutral disseminator of facts but that's just not the case i think anybody watching any news at this point understands that there's it's very difficult to find unbiased news because everything's damn pundits talking over each other it seemed like when we were kids and there were three channels or four channels and there was a news service they were reporting facts and that was that but and no matter what channel you went to, you got the same news pretty much. Basically, yes. You know, there wasn't alternative facts at that time. Well, there weren't 300 news channels. That's true. That's true. And you weren't living in an echo chamber. I mean, journalism was about the truth and facts, and that was it. It wasn't about opinion. It wasn't about... It was about getting the truth to the public as fast as you can. Although, it wasn't always. Because clearly, in this documentary, they're talking about that. Um, talking about rumors and conspiracy fueling the fire. Probably radio figured out real quick that you could spread <laughs> well, right. propaganda. And one of their uh, other quotes was, the power of pro propaganda is insidious. And they were jumping right into the discussion of genocide in Rwanda. So I didn't write down the years of this, but this was what, in the 90s, 80s? Hotel Rwanda, yeah. I never really... Oh, I take it back. I did write it down. 1994. Okay. They were... This is one of the harder ones to watch. This was graphic images of injury and death. And there were over one million deaths in the genocide in Rwanda. Yeah. Another quote was, How does someone go from your neighbor to feeling that they have an obligation to kill you? Think about those words. An obligation to kill you. Not That's... just that they hate you. But that not only is it in their best interest, but it's in the best interest of everyone that you die. That's hardcore. Yeah. Uh, propaganda obviously uses tribal divisions to create 
crazy things like in the Rwandan situation, they had identity cards. And they were using resources to keep uh, divisions. So just like back to the bonobos and chimpanzees, resources were used to keep people aggressive. And I guess that's still, it's, it's not hatred. It's an innate born of dislike. Or is it? Well, it becomes hatred, I think. I mean, this is the thing. They're, they're part of their propaganda, and we get into this a little bit later in the episode, but they are literally calling other people cockroaches and using TV and radio to sp- spread the hate message to those who couldn't read just to make sure everybody was in on the hate game. Let's use radio to spread that word. And the whole point of calling them cockroaches was to dehumanize them because otherwise killing would be difficult. So if they're dehumanized, killing was not as bad. And they said that they could even use rape as a weapon and you would become wealthy by killing. Right. So they were, if they weren't already disadvantaged, they were disadvantaged for the fact they were being called the worst scum of the earth. Right. And Nazi Germany did the same thing. They used propaganda and dehumanized the Jewish people. And they're just waves of people listening and agreeing because that's what they hear. Yeah, it's insane. Media. And this, I mean, this is a side note, but this whole videos that, I forget what they're calling it, but the fake fake videos where you make somebody look like they're saying something and it's not oh, them. Oh, fake. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, deep fakes, yes. Deep, deep fakes, yeah. That's terrifying. But that's a whole other story. Yeah. We don't have time for that. Uh, another quote here was, how does propaganda get people to abandon their morals and commit violence? And it's fear. It comes down to fear. Everything is fear and resource-based, it feels like. Now, no matter how many different ways we come at this, there's many different reasons that people hate, ultimately. But I really think the core of all of that is fear and resources. That's what it seemed to come down to. I got a feeling if every uh, year that they uh, they had the huge protests in the city about... Uh, you know, WTO or whatever. Mm-hmm. If the cops just showed up in, uh, you know, <clears throat> uniform without the without the shields and the masks and the batons, or if they just showed up in regular uniform, mm-hmm. I almost would have to assume that the violence would de-escalate. They show up prepared for a riot, right. then they get a riot. Mm-hmm. Show up like show up like a cop on the beat with a with a uniform. But they don't do that because it's, it's dangerous. It's just a theory that I have, but I mean... Yeah. Come on. Think about it. It's not a bad theory. Definitely not. <clears throat> anyway. They talk about stripping humanity. Uh, that stripping humanity strips people of their ability to see in more complex states and allow for believing that they are incapable of feeling pain and suffering. So, back to the cockroach example. If... You're so infused at this idea that your enemy is a cockroach or an animal or some, somehow less human. And we're going to get into that scale here in just a second. But if you see them as less than you or less than a human, <clears throat> then, well, maybe they don't have complex feelings. Maybe they don't feel pain. Maybe it doesn't have as much effect to cause them suffering and to kill them ultimately. And yeah, that also tracks into the homeless situation too. Right. It's it's not even that they're not like us, but they're actually beneath us in yeah. that context. They're human beings. Mm-hmm. 
And it was also theorized that propaganda can turn off the medial prefrontal cortex, which we use to empathize with others, or that it causes us to use it less. So somehow this propaganda actually tricks our brain into not being empathetic. Right. That's just crazy. And we're all guilty of it. We are all guilty of it. I mean, let's be honest. On small scale levels in, in everyday life. If you've ever bought anything that you ever saw an ad for... You're susceptible to the media and yeah. propaganda. Yeah. And looking at it from something so small. I mean, I took a class in college that talked about that. Like, all the different ways that advertising and subliminal messaging gets to us. And I've bought things that I saw a commercial for. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to check that out, you know? Yeah. It had been uh, probably a year, maybe two, since I've had any Taco Bell. I saw a commercial. I was like... <laughs> Suddenly I was like, man, Taco Bell. Yeah, and they were just hard, crunchy tacos. It wasn't even anything fancy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so here's where we get to one of my favorite parts, actually, of the episode and the series. Because I really think it helps put a graphic and a, a better understanding to what all this is leading to. Which is the Ascent of Man Scale. So <clears throat> it was called The Ascent of Human Measure of Blatant Dehumanization. And when they say ascent of human, they actually put H-U in parentheses. So, Hugh, man. Yeah. And it's basically that scale of evolution from monkey to man that we've all seen. The ascent of man, the original. The original ascent of man. And it's got five levels. And what that does is show people how they evolved and then compare that to how they believe other groups to be evolved. So, if that made sense at all. It's a scale from zero to a hundred. And on average, Americans rate themselves from 90 to 100% fully evolved, if you will. Evolved. Yeah. We are at the peak of evolution. Now, Americans... (laughs) (laughs) Listen to this, though. Americans rated Mexican immigrants at 75% evolved. Uh, 75%. Because they are here illegally? Who knows that why? somehow makes them because they're brown, because they don't speak English, that makes them less evolved. They speak a fluent language. Let me tell you, and probably trying, two. In right. most cases, two fluent most languages. Most of them speak better English than some yeah. people I know. And trying to learn English is way harder than learning Spanish. So if they can speak Spanish and English, I'm way more impressed. They are more evolved than yeah. seventy fucking. Yeah. 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 We're, what, supposedly we're 90? 90 to 100 is what we rate ourselves. Come on now. And they rated Muslims in the 60s. And so this puts them down into the savage or barbaric category. Uh, when was this? When was the... The poll? It was recent. It was in the last couple of years. I don't remember exactly when they did uh, it. It's disgusting. But 60% evolved. So 30 to 40% less evolved. That's... 50% from man to human, and they're 10% above that. A human being. Basically because regional and religious differences. And no other knowledge than that, as far as I can yeah. guess. I mean, it's fear. Again, it's fear. There's it's no, fear there's no the way they, they researched. No, it's just the basic <laughs> idea of what you, how you feel about another group. Without knowing anything. Which, yeah. And now you can see with that kind of scale 
how people start dehumanizing people. If you feel like they're not evolved, that they're not even human, that they're damn near Neanderthals on this scale, then it's much easier to become violent and hateful. Yeah, and I wonder how that transfers into hate. Is it... Well... I mean, they even showed the clip where, you know, when Trump was all talking all the craziness in the very beginning, I mean, there's been so much craziness, but... He said, these aren't people, they're animals. And that's exactly what they're talking about when they're talking about dehumanizing people. They're not animals, they're people, regardless of agreeing with anything about them. Trump's not an animal, he's still a human. I don't like him, I don't like his policies, but he's not an animal. Nor is he's not a, you know, an educated uh, anthropologist or uh, maybe a biologist of any kind. He can't discern whether someone is a human or an animal. <laughs> fair let's just get that out of the way real quick (laughs) so i noted down here society is bombarded by falsities and non-accepted views in society can now find each other online so what that's saying is any kind of crazy idea that you have you're going to find some kind of echo chamber online to support your crazy ideas and this leads right into that kid dylan roof that shot up a bunch of people in a church in Charleston. And I've heard about him. I remember when it happened. I didn't remember that he actually went in and sat with them for a Bible study before he shot them. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. And the reason that he gave for shooting Reconnaissance. Them, yeah, but he could have just walked in and shot them. Oh, shit. He actually sat down to a Bible study and, and prayed with them and then shot them. Which, I don't even know what that says. But um, his reason for shooting them was retribution of, quote, what white people suffer, unquote, every day at the hands of black people. And he said that the Trayvon Martin case started all of this this problem. So what happened was, this goes back to the, we think that Google is trustworthy because you go on and you search for the weather and it gives you accurate information. You go on and you search for something in geography, it gives you accurate information. You go on and search black on white crime, and the first things that are going to pop up are alt-right propaganda bullshit. And there's no way for a young person like him to be able to discern what's truth and what's not. It looks real. How many of us have been fooled by scam emails or scam websites? <clears throat> you know? I mean, uh... I would ex- I would I would hope that that in this day and age now I know back that was in the past but now I hope that if someone is searching for reputable sources and information that's fact would clearly look for facts and read facts that are known to be facts But how do you know it's a fact? How do you know who to trust is my point. When it looks like a legitimate thing and they're telling you, they're listing all these things like they're quote-unquote facts, you know. We are aware to be skeptical of what we're looking at. And I'm going to look at what is this website? What are the advertisements on this website? You know, is anybody else sort sourcing Can this you website? trust somebody at the Washington Post? Right. But what if it's some website called PatriotAct.com? I'm just making that up. But 
Sorry, Hassan Minaj. <laughs> I don't know if I would trust PatriotAct.com. I think I would go for something along right. the lines but of... But he didn't know that. WashingtonPost.com or NewYorkTimes.com. Right. But or maybe he didn't know this. FailingNewYorkTimes.com. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. So one of, their, <clears throat> one of their topics basically tying that up was people confuse an advertising platform thinking that it's a library because we all use Google in this way. We use it like it's a library. But it's not. People pay to have their shit on the internet. I use it to settle arguments a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so all these tiny little things get you to trust it and then... All it's really doing is making it easier to misinform people. Because if they don't know what they're looking at, and there's no way to discern what's truth and what's not, then it's chaos. You know? There's a lot of discussion in the episode about hate groups rising after Trump's election. Uh, and we talked about that in another episode. The white supremacist guy, ex-white supremacist, that was saying that everything was kind of festering when... Obama was president. It was also discussing Why did that happen? Why did what happen? Why did trouble fester while Obama was president? Because he was black. Oh, is that the only reason? (laughs) Pretty much. And, And because there was a lot of social change happening at that time, and it made people afraid. Again, it's back to fear. It's not because Mitch McConnell... Mitch McConnell... He's from Kentucky and uh, been... How long has he been the senator? Very too long. Okay, all right. Like 30 years. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So they talked about symbols of hate, like the Confederate flag, and those who are for and against the removal of the flag. Uh, Because some people do not want to look back at a terrible behavior in the past. Confederate flags actually have not been flown for that long, which was... Interesting to me because I really didn't know the history of the Confederate flag. Thought they were everywhere, constantly. I thought they did too, but I thought they were around since the actual Civil War. But they weren't. They actually didn't start flying them until the Civil Rights Movement in the '60s, which really oh, wow. blew my mind. Well, that says something. Right. Exactly. So when you say, or when I hear people say. The Confederate flag represents the South and the South pride, you know, Southern pride, and we're proud of our heritage and blah, blah, blah. There's nothing wrong with being proud of the South. But you need to know where the history of that flag came from, too. And just because you're proud of somewhere doesn't mean you have to ignore everything that was bad. You know, guess what? I love the Pacific Northwest, but a lot of serial killers are up here. I can't ignore that. You can't ignore that the whole reason for the Civil War was because states wanted to keep slaves. That's yeah. a fact. I don't want to knit a flag uh, about the Green River Killer and start <laughs> waving it around. Right. Right. So there's a quote in here that says, Usually it's the side that wins the war that gets monuments. But here it's the opposite. So they're talking about down south. Um, they don't want to think that sla- of slavery as more than tangential to Southern pride. But that's... Just not factual. It, it can be both. But you can't separate out the fact that slavery was not a part of this. Sorry. You just can't. I'm thinking it was probably the major motivating factor of the whole war. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, why they wanted slaves is a whole other discussion. But the fact that there were slaves and it was a part of it, you know, you can't dispute that. It happened. Undisputable. So, 
It also talked about uh, using symbols all around us for shorthand communication. So hate symbols signify belonging or not belonging. They denigrate and dehumanize. Ugh. (laughs) What? Sorry, it was just that, not that long ago, maybe a month ago, the Army-Navy game, during the footage of the, uh, the crowd in the background, yeah, that's the next thing they talk about. It's the yeah. OK sign, right? What yeah. you're talking about? Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a blow the waist. Look at, look at it. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. But now, the OK sign and or Pepe the Frog, if you've seen that guy, um, they've been co-opted. That's not what they originally stood for. The rainbow never meant homosexuality before Yeah. whatever mo- moment in time they decide. Exactly. Please. Everybody loved rainbows. Everybody always loved rainbows. <laughs> and now only some people. Well, it didn't always mean. Yeah, so, yeah. Right, exactly. So the challenge on social media is that uh, it can challenge hateful memes by saying it's just a joke or just sarcasm. So there was a whole long podcast I heard. I feel like it was on, maybe on Hidden Brain that was talking about some guy that... <clears throat> Was some kind of virtuoso with the violin, and he had just gotten a scholarship somewhere, like MIT or some prestigious school. And he was on some terrible memes of Facebook uh, page, and he posted some joke, and he got reported, and he lost his scholarship. And there's a line. You have to be responsible for what you're willing to post. And it doesn't really matter if you think it's funny or not. If, if it hurts someone else. And I just don't mean snowflake, quote unquote, or being a pussy or whatever you want to call it. Being a scrotum. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, nutsack. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, on a smaller scale, there was a co-worker uh, in the past several months that uh, when they were on Facebook, they just posted something with the N-word involved, and it didn't take long at all. Someone who was who was offended by it mm-hmm. brought it to HR's attention. And this is an, on his off-work time. He wasn't... Personal work page. Personal or, work... Per, personal page on Facebook. Personal page on Facebook, but uh, it got back to the workplace, and deservedly, he was let go because they don't want to be in... They don't want to be associated with uh, anyone that works... Yeah, exactly. They talk about symbols not being value neutral, just like we've been talking about. Rainbows don't mean rainbow bright anymore. Uh, Words and symbols can play on our primal fears. So again, it comes back to fears. And leaders with an agenda can be very dangerous and profit politically from playing with those fears, as we've seen over and over, not just with this president. You know, this president is not the only president that's done bad things. This is just a little bit more extreme version, I think. No, he's pushing the limits. He's testing. <clears throat> yeah, so those kind of people don't let facts get in their way. They know that xenophobia works. And, uh, you know, there was some discussion from Hungary in 2018 that statements about millions of Africans trying to come to Hungary made a big deal. Kind of like the caravans coming up from South America, right? Made them... You know, all these pictures of all these people coming in when the actual thing was like five people into Hungary from Africa. 
five people. But on the Successfully, news, or they, they turned away a thousand and let five people through, or... Yeah, f- five people... Or they allowed five people in, or there were only five people that wanted to... No, five people were caught trying to come into the country illegally. But the propaganda <laughs> had been just like the caravans, and it literally looked There's just like that. There's a swarm of people coming in. Right, and they had pictures of people lined up for miles, just like the caravan pictures. And this was in 2018, you know... So it was all from around the same Africa time. Africa to Hungary? Yeah, coming up from Africa through into Europe. That's a long walk. <laughs> well, people are coming up, quote unquote, from South America. I'm telling you, it's close. I mean, Africa to... Hungary. Hungary. Seems yeah. a lot longer. Maybe I, well, I guess it map. depends on where in Africa they're coming from. So, yeah, there was discussion about Facebook ads with false information or fake news of a video said to be in one place or time, but was actually in another country. Oh, both false completely. Right. So, years before, in another country with a completely different context. And they used this same kind of crap with Brexit. That's how they got people to be afraid of immigrants in England. And that they need to take their country back and got them all fired up and frothing at the mouth because of xenophobia. So they're playing, they're, they're playing on the fears yeah. of the common people. Yeah. Which makes it sound like they're trying to pander to the lowest common denominator. Like, so, we'll scare the dumb people. I don't think they're dumb. They're just uh, afraid. And they don't know better. They're ignorant. They're afraid of what? Afraid of things. Jesus. So my final thought on this episode, that was pretty much everything that uh, was in the episode, but this is my final thought after watching it. If everyone is quote-unquote the other, how can anyone be us? How can we possibly have an in-group if everyone else is the other? And that's what it feels like. It feels like all these groups are the other. But at some point in time, there has to be an us. Yeah. Or we're never going to get anywhere. When are we a we? When are we a we? Yeah. Not a gaming console. Yeah. <clears throat> Seriously. All right. We made it through episode four. High five. Let's go to episode five. We're only at 20 something minutes. We're well, doing We can good. do this. We can get through it. I hope so. So episode five is called Crimes Against Humanity. Crimes Against Humanity. Crimes Against Humanity starts with Patricia Sellers. She's an international criminal lawyer and... She works on things like genocide and war crimes. There was a discussion of the Native American genocide, which we all like to forget, and how Americans don't really recognize its own history of that and slavery. We are the first ones to point out how there was the genocide of the Jews yeah, in, let's in rush Germany. to that. Well, nobody talks about how we basically exterminated Native Americans. We internment camped... Japanese national people who are American citizens yeah. and Japanese and still threw them in cages. Yeah, and we're not far from doing that right now. I mean, people on Twitter are giving their personal experience. It's not like are there fake still news. children in cages? In yes, the... there are still immigrant children in cages in Texas or wherever else. But I mean, Christmas happened, so everybody forgot about it. Well, so many things happen every single day, just like what we were talking about. There's no way to keep up, because crazy shit happens so fast now. There are still children in yeah chain-link fenced cages. Yeah, 
Well, here's a great example. Puerto Rico never recovered from Hurricane Maria. Right, and they just right. had a 6.5 earthquake. Yeah. They got power we, yet? We forgot about Puerto Rico until they had a fucking earthquake. Can't send them any generators. We got. We don't have enough. Can't send them a I single can't. generator. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we keep forgetting that Australia is on fire. Like, basically half the continent. So. Well, that's a long ways away. <laughs> well, so is slavery and genocide of Native Americans in history. Talked about the Jim Crow laws basically being a tar- apartheid in America. And after slavery, still having lynchings. Still having lynchings. I just can't. I can't even think about that. It's hard to take. Yeah, and they had pictures of it. I mean, that shit happened in people's lifetimes that are still alive, you know? Yeah. At a memorial, seven people were lynched from drinking from a white man's well. There was a public execution, and it was advertised. So don't think that we are above any of this shit. And these are not crimes of startled passion. There was excitement, propaganda, and it was totally normalized to do that kind of terrible shit to each other. She notes that there's often a leader with genocide or crimes against humanity who identifies an enemy who threatens our values. So they're going to identify the problem and they're going to make us fearful because they threaten our values, quote unquote. It also includes people surrounding themselves with other people that carry out orders. So... Uh, Pol Pot and Hitler, for yeah. example. Yeah, you have to have the henchmen. Yeah, gotta have the henchmen. I mean, uh, what good's it to, you know, just scream something into a crowd of people and expect them all to do it? You gotta, you gotta. Uh... You gotta have the first order there listening to you. Well, what are you saying earlier? You have to, uh, you have to. Um, what's the management word? Disseminate. No, the management word, like a. Di- uh, it's like, <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go yes, ahead and yes, delegate yes. authority. Delegate. I'm gonna delegate authority. I'm gonna spread it out. Right. And then I'm gonna go golf. Right. I'm gonna delegate while you guys go take care of that shit. I'll be uh, I'll be checking out art somewhere. <laughs> checking in, out art. Yeah. So they talk a lot right here. Uh, I'm not gonna get too much into this. If you want to know more about it, and you don't know about Pol Pot. This was in Cambodia. But. That was an incredibly terrible... He was ruthless. Uh, Yeah. He had actually been a math teacher. Spoke foreign languages, enjoyed art. But he also allowed torture and murder of... I can't even tell you how many people. They brought... This guy was... This, uh... Not Pol Pot, but the guy that was his henchman. Dutch Duché. Douche. 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 I think. Douche. I put it for the pronunciation were... with the with the little umlaut. Yeah. Comrade Douche, <laughs> I would call him, uh, was this guy that was uh, the henchman. He was still in prison when I did this interview. I don't know if he's dead by now, but they brought out this giant binder of pictures who everybody of everybody that died under his torture. Yeah, he took pictures. Well, he had t- and they had taken like prison photos, basically. Yeah. And he understood that those arrested for being against the party were the enemy and must be eradicated. So everybody that was in his prison that came to him was an enemy of the state and killed. So it was justified to him. 
Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't in prison. It was a death row. Yeah, I, and it was a torture chamber before they killed you. Yeah, they didn't just kill you. So douche over here <clears throat> considers himself innocent. That because he was working on the authority of the government, that it's their fault, not his. Even, and it's just like those, you know, Nazi guards at the prison. I'm I'm um, just serving at the pleasure of the president, right now. Yeah. <laughs> The filmmaker believes that all criminals had to make a choice. And again, the scale of the Holocaust comes up and how it happened. And they talk about the guards and who's who's considered guilty and whatnot. Everyone is complicit. they got to know better. Come on. Well, I talked about You're Adolf. a human adult being. Yeah. You're complicit. I talked about Adolf Eichmann, uh, who carried out the main plans of the Holocaust. His was the first trial that was televised. And Ugh. it showed how normal he looked, right? He was just some guy. Yeah. So, hey, yeah, just me. Just me hanging out. Just a regular guy. Yeah. I didn't know. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I have a thing here. He's th- it's talking about the Milgram experiment. Um, you can look that up if you want to. It talks about the shock punishment study and inflicting pain under toxic instruction. That's been somewhat disputed so i'm not going to get too much into that but everybody that knows what the milgram experiment is it's the teacher telling you you need to shock this guy oh yeah for jesus yes but that's not it's come out that that's not necessarily as accurate as they made it out to be right but they had recorded people in extreme pain it wasn't actually somebody screaming but right. there was like a recording of someone going ah screaming like right right and they were like if you got the answer wrong they would shock right the fabled person in the other room. Exactly. So you can look that up if you want to, but they did talk about it. Creepy. They talked about the trial of Bosnia Herzegovina and all the atrocities that were there. I was there right after that. Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah, I was there. I saw the hillside grave. It was terrible. Uh, They created new laws against crimes, but it also created more questions about who's to blame. Was it the leaders? Was it the high managers? Or was it the underlings? Or was it everybody? To everybody. <laughs> and if the underlings believe they're going to be killed, if they don't do it, is it still their fault? I mean, that's that's the basic question for the Nazi internment camp people. Uh, it's a silly, silly thing to say, but I'm going to say, uh, I think there's some movie where it's scripted where um, Clint Eastwood says something, a man has to know his limitations. Yeah. And I think there's a point where in your life, you may face a situation like that where you need to know whether I'm willing to live or die for this yeah. current situation that I'm in. And uh, where your morals lie deeply is where you make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a lot of people just watched things happen. Yeah. And they probably are living with them in terror for the rest of their life. That is PTSD. And that is hell. And you're living the rest of your life in hell for watching something happen rather than trying to help stop it from happening. But I mean, who who's to know if, if you would have tried to stop something from happening, how much that would have, you know, you might have affected another person to help you or you might have started an uprising or you may have just been shot and killed. And- mm-hmm. There you go. That there's another example of a guy trying to stand up to him, you know. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, there's a right and a wrong, and I think we all know what right and wrong is. I think we all do. Well, it talks about, here's a quote, uh, genocides committed by, genocides are committed by complacency and by aiding and abetting. So, uh, they say, we have the capacity to do horrific things, and to your point, not do them. Aiding and abetting is not the same thing as, uh, what's the word I'm, the phrase that I'm looking for is the, you see it happening, but you're indifferent to it. There's a law against that, right? I mean, isn't there? (laughs) No, you're thinking about two different things. Oh. Um, anyway. I mean, yeah. Like, I could step in, but I'm going to ignore it and walk away. Yeah. There are laws against that. I'm certain of it. No? There are laws for you to help out, like Good Samaritan laws, but there's no law that for, like, the bystander effect, which is kind of what you're talking about. You can't be arrested if you didn't cause someone to be in the situation that they're in, but you didn't help them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. I think that... Uh, be he... complicit is what you're maybe looking for, but that's not. That's only if you had some part in it. There's something indifference. Like a... What's the word? The phrase... There's a phrase about indifference. Something indifference. Like, yeah. Anyway. Depraved indifference? Depraved indifference. Maybe. I'm not sure if it's... But, but you Look, had to have had something to do with it. Like, if you walk up to a building and it's on fire, you're not arrested for not running in there, even if you see people screaming out the window. Right, but if you're at a party and you see a girl being dragged into a room to be raped, and you don't do a fucking thing about it. I'm not sure you can be arrested for that. You can be arrested for standing outside the door and making sure no one else comes in. That's not depraved indifference. That's, like, definite well, I'd have to look, look up the exact definition of <laughs> depraved indifference, but that's a fine line, and I think it'd be hard to prove. Yeah. Anyway, you're a terrible person if you see something happening and you don't do anything about it. If you can. I'm trying better to be a, a proponent of uh, justice as I get older. Wow. <clears throat> that wasn't a very long episode, because I'm almost done with my notes from this one, so... The story did bounce back to Milgram. Again, I'm not going to talk about that because we already did. The story bounces back to Rwanda. And this is when they were talking about what you're talking about, which is making a choice. So it talks about that Hutu soccer player um, that had a Tutsi teammate. And he ended up being killed because he took in this guy in the middle of a war zone because he didn't have anywhere else to go. And he took him in to his house and they found out about it and he was killed. Both of them were killed? No, the soccer player was killed. The other guy has lived on and done great things and mentored children in his name. But the soccer player that took him in, who was in the, you know, ruling party, the Hutus or whatever, it goes back to that whole, you have identity cards and you're a Tootsie and that means that uh, you're a cockroach. And you don't mean anything. Uh, you don't remember that story? Yeah. The soccer player? He's coming back to me now. Yeah, I mean, participating in genocide destroys our own humanity. There's really no coming back from genocide. And, again, I'm just going to keep saying it. It comes down to fear, and it comes down to resources. Luckily, look at that. We're just hitting the 40-minute mark, and we're getting to episode 6, which is called Hope. Hope, yes, hope. So this starts with Emil... Brunian. He's a neuroscientist and he was in South Africa at the end of the apartheid and also in Ireland 
with all the religious tensions there. And he talks about sharing an evolutionary past filled with violence, but our brains are built to be flexible. It's not easy, but we do have the ability to change our brains. He would love to have a toolbox of interventions on how to change people's minds. So just have kind of a standard, all right, let's try these five things to see if we can get someone to change their mind about hateful, violent thoughts. And my thought here uh, in the middle of this was that could actually be used both ways. <laughs> so yes, yeah, it makes me a little nervous, but I want to be hopeful because that's what this episode's called. Yes, hope. So in Colombia, there was a civil war that killed 200,000 people. And <clears throat> the government and the, the FARC, the F-A-R-C, they had agreed to peace, um, <clears throat> put it to a vote to ratify the peace treaty, and it was voted down. So they were wondering why that happened, because here there was a civil war. All these people were killed. There was finally an agreement of peace, but the people did not trust the government yes. and this group. The voters did not believe that FARC wanted or could integrate um, after 50 years of conflict. So there is this wonderful story in this particular episode, if you remember this one, that research group had interviews with former FARC members. And they were very powerful interviews that actually changed the minds of some of the Colombian research assistants. So do you remember this? They had a group of people. Yes. What they were going to do is basically use, I guess they were kind of using it in a propaganda way to change people's minds. So what they did was, instead of thinking of the FARC, the FARC, as one big group, they were breaking them down into interviews of individuals. Because, you know, once you get to know someone as, on an individual level, it's much harder to hate them or dehumanize them. It's much easier to do it with a group. Yes. So these people were uh, making all these videos of the people's uh, independent stories. And some of them were like, I was born into this or I was kidnapped and my parents were murdered in front of me. And I was raised to be in this violent guerrilla type group. And now they're saying we can have peace. And hell yes, I want peace. Of course I do. And they, it shows them to be humans. And it shows them to have morals and values that are very similar to the Colombians. And as the people were watching this, actually the research assistants were just picked at random. They didn't know, you know, how they felt about it. But the more that they were watching the individual stories, the more that they were able to see them as human again with personal stories. Personal stories about peace. It's yeah. amazing how a lot of people all over the planet want peace. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. And how sometimes... Leaders somehow want to disrupt that. <laughs> you know, it's really amazing to think about how similar and how much Republicans and Democrats actually want the same thing. <laughs> and it's actually very few things that we don't agree on. Silly little arguments. And yet, our leaders have been able to use this to pit us against each other. It's stupid. If they could just arm wrestle. If the <laughs> leaders, if leaders of nations could just arm wrestle <sighs> or play thumb wars... Them Instead of just like... Rock, paper, scissors? You know, yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Play play uh, like a punch for punch, you know. <laughs> Ow! Oh, my turn. You know, like hit hit for hit on the shoulder. <laughs> that doesn't really seem equivalent. 
Well, I mean, other you could play chess. Chess would be a good way. I mean, play really. Play chess, okay. So here they bring back in the Ascent of Man scale, and it shows the FARC to be over 40 points below the Colombians. Remember this scale from 0 to 100. Oh, and the South American FARC? The South American, the, Columbi- yeah. the Colombians rated the FARC members to be an average of 38. That was, remember, Not even... Muslims in America were 60. Yeah. These people were seen as 38. If you look on that scale from 1 to 5 of the monkey to Neanderthal. They're talking about they're worthless. They are monkeys. Garbage. They're not human is what they're saying. They're rodents. They're... It's lower than Americans to ISIS and Israelis to Palestinians who have been at war for thousands of years. Yeah, they felt like they were like less than nuisance animals. They and were... they had only been fighting for 50 years. And that's how insidious that was. Very, very personal, strong, religious, loving feelings, those people. So I inserted my thoughts into these notes right here, which made me think of Republicans and the LGBT community. Because it's when it's their family, it seems they're much more uh, willing to entertain the idea that LGBT are not a bunch of godless sinners that don't deserve to breathe. You know, they're human beings. And when it's one of their children, it's different. Or when they get caught in the bathroom. (laughs) So they also discussed using these interviews to show the public. And they wanted to see if the perception changed. And it did. They actually showed this. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they did it like on the nightly news they showed videos. Or they had a TV show. I don't know how that works in Colombia. But we should have asked Umberto. Yeah. But perceptions did change. You know, it can be done. We are malleable. Sometimes it's just a little harder than others. Right. Our brains are not written in stone. You don't, you don't have to believe the same thing you believe all of your life. Honestly, if this podcast did nothing else than to change one person's mind to be a little bit more open-minded about somebody that they didn't understand, my job here is done. I win. Your, your brain is amazing, and it can... Create new pathways of intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. It talked about the end of apartheid and the election of Nelson Mandela. How much of a role does a leader have in change? So the discussion was how racism and apartheid started by colonizers and uh, Mandela jailed in 1964 for sedition, which sounds like, you know, something out of Last of the Mohicans. You'll be shot for sedition! But they were trying to overthrow the government. And everyone watched when Mandela was out of jail. And instead of choosing, I guess, what would kind of be the Malcolm X way, he chose more of the Martin Luther King way. He chose to negotiate instead of revolt, which he very easily could have. He had been in jail for, what, 30 years? And people hated him when he went into jail. And they loved him when he came out. And they would have followed him to whatever end. But because he was a smart man, he chose to negotiate and to work with the government. Negotiations took four years, and many people were still killed while they were trying to work this out. But it's about having hope, you know? People were resistant to change. There was a genocide in Johannesburg in 1992, and leaders continued to call for genocide. And or, well, they, they continued to call for guidance and peace. 
even between opponents. And the leaders became friendly and had respect for each other. And we were able to use this above the tensions. So it is possible to actually negotiate with people that you don't like or get along with or even respect if you can have some kind of professional respect. Yes. A general understanding of another human's feelings and intentions is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And this is where Mandela is quoted as, now is the time to heal old wounds. And can I just call that out now? Now is the time to heal all wounds because we're bleeding to death right now. We have a gaping chest wound and that piece of plastic and pressure is not holding it together. Yeah. We are hurting. Lungs, everything. Lungs, shit, the whole, yeah. So I had a little thought in here as well. Uh, How can we in the U.S. do this? You know, how are we able to rise above this divisiveness and tribalism and fear-based hate to see past what we're seeing as a threat to our very existence? What's going to take for a real, honest group hug? Yeah. A meaningful group hug. I don't know. Why Why do we hate each other so much? Why can't we love? Well, some of us do. Some of us do. Can't we just do that? Please? (laughs) We can certainly try. I don't know. So scientists are trying to predict outcomes based on this whole situation. The unsettling, this is a quote, the unsettling reality that the enemy is just like us. And the discussion of how Germany has dealt with this, its whole history of genocide. Um, There was a good talk about how Germany, since the Holocaust, since World War II, has integrated into their schools teaching their history. They didn't ignore, you know, the Holocaust. They're saying, hey, this happened, and let's make sure we work towards not having it happen again. There are some countries who have uh, omitted certain parts of history in their teachings. I don't remember talking about wiping out Native Americans in history class. Not in any kind of meaningful way. No. I barely remember talking about slavery in more than a tangential way, right. except for that it happened, not that it was a terrible thing that we did. Yeah. Growing up, it was like, oh, Native, Native Americans loved us, and we had Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. God damn it. You're right. So, yeah. And, yeah, other countries around the world have also omitted yeah, certain Yeah, I parts. learned most of the things I learned about the atrocities the United States have done to its own people and to people that we took over here. Not by high school or middle school or junior high, but from college. And, you know, a lot of people I hear on the right especially say that these liberal colleges are teaching these kids all this stuff. It's like, right, I didn't learn any of the actual truth of what our history was until I went to college. My college experience maybe was a little different. I didn't have that happen where I was on campus, I wasn't in my early 20s when I went to college. But that's where I learned about the terrible medical experiments we were doing on people. Like the syphilis study. And, yeah. and Tuskegee. And, Tuskegee Airmen, yes. And the Tuskegee Airmen, yeah. that was a different thing. but um, And how people used to get stolen off the streets and have terrible physical examinations done to them. Or procedures, medical procedures done to them. Before they could go to college and have them, you know, get paid to do them. I mean, (laughs) Henrietta Locks, you know, she is a prime example. And I highly encourage you to watch the 
movie about her and her family and how her cells revolutionized medicine, but they did all that without consent of her body. And that's just terrible, yeah. you know? And I would not have learned any of that if it hadn't been for college. And I'm not making this about everybody needs to go to college. That's not, the, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is our lower grade education needs to be better, is what I'm saying. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I, uh, I was born in 1972. I... Went through grade school in the early 70s and did not learn nearly enough about history as I should have. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, in junior high, I learned a little bit more about history, but still not enough. And even in high school. Mm-hmm. Went my entire 18 years of school and uh, did not feel like a... I feel like I've not learned enough about history... And I'm still learning more about history, so... I feel like I learn more from history from drunk history. That's funny, yeah. Seriously. I went around the world... Um, well, around the world. I went to uh, Southeast Asia and uh, Australia a couple times, but still learning from what they knew about America and what America knew... What, what we knew about them. Completely different stories <laughs> and so many things about history that... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Inconsistencies around. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There was a lot more about how, what Germany's doing in their country, um, but they were careful to say that they teach all of that history starting from kindergarten for prevention, not to make people feel guilty. Because that's not guilt and shame are not how you get people to change your mind. That's just going to lead to more fear and more hate. Yeah. So, Emil believes the best way to combat hate is to educate people about their brains and our biases. And they're um, very in line with mindfulness. So, to gain control of things that are usually unconscious is what he's talking about. They showed uh, Raymond Brown teaching yoga and mindfulness to grade school kids. And they were able to let go of their anger and show compassion. And this young man... Uh, African-American man. Uh, his father was murdered when he was very young. He was in a gang. He ended up meeting a mentor, and it took a while, but then he finally understood that, um, you know, that's not, that's not the way. That's not how things are going to change. He ended up getting a group of men together and started the Holistic Life Foundation. And that's to, that was in 2001 um, to help with internal peace and happiness and how to control anger. So that's what he does is he goes around to these elementary schools and teaches mindfulness and meditation, which is basically being able to have some kind of emotional regulation. Is he still doing it? I think so. I mean, they just did this documentary not that long ago and he was still doing it. I hope so. And yeah, he was great. So they did talk about studies specifically showing brain change with meditation the ventromedial prefrontal cortex and the amygdala relationship and how they regulate emotion and fear. Again, fear. Keeps coming up, huh? Fear is always there. Yeah. They said that uh, you can see changes in your brain as little as seven hours of cumulative practice of meditation. So two weeks of 30 minutes a day. That could be 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night. In two weeks... There's a noticeable and visual change in your brain to be able to control your emotions and regulations. 
Am I crazy? It's possible to start feeling more compassion and love for other people. Yeah. One of the things that he says while people are meditating and laying there together is he'll say, think of a person you love and use your imagination to send them love. Now get a picture of someone you don't get along with. And with every exhale, send them some love too. Is that so hard? You know? For fuck's sake. Picture a stranger. A face you don't even recognize. <laughs> yeah. And send that... Yeah, picture Puerto Rico. Picture Australia. <laughs> picture the globe. <laughs> you know, it's possible. We can do this. Yeah, we absolutely we can. We can stop hating each other. So what meditation really does is it, it allows us to access emotions that are running in the background. Yeah. and makes us more consciously aware of them. Even on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. Exercise compassion. Yeah, you know you've been the one to cut someone off on accident. So, yeah. again, with the motto, don't be a dick. Yeah. Guy behind you might be in a hurry. Just get over. Let him go past you. Yeah. Is it really going to save you? Is it important to save you that five seconds because you don't want to let someone in front of you? Just let him in. Let him in. Let him pass you because he might have to poop. He might, <laughs> he might, have, a, he might have a daughter having a peanut reaction, you know? You Fuck's don't sake. Know. You don't know. You never know. But explosive diarrhea. Explosive diarrhea is always what I'm thinking. Yeah. That's what I learned in anger management class. Yeah. They used to say, imagine people going to the hospital, but that was never visual enough for me. So I'd be right. like, oh, they must be holding a bleeding wound on their leg and they're rushing to the hospital. They might be about to shit their pants in their car. <laughs> yeah. Explosive diarrhea is always a good one because it makes me laugh. Because, Yeah. The desperation. And we've all been there. Yes. So you know the feeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Put on some music or a podcast. Sailing takes me away. <laughs> Not probably the song I would go to, <coughs> but okay, whatever works for you. Uh, so there was a global, uh, as a global society, we have tried to work uh, on peacekeeping for 60 years at least. Probably longer than that. But we still don't really understand that it needs to be the power of engagement and personal connections. Emil is focused on bringing inter-conflict groups together and learn together. And during this uh, episode, he talks about the fact that he was actually just diagnosed with brain cancer. And yeah. his, you know, life hope for the world is that all these different groups that study all these different things can somehow get together and manage to create this toolbox that he was talking about to create easy access tools like the meditation tool that allow us to interact with each other in less hateful ways. Meditation is something that I want to really get into and I've had a, I've had a hard time for probably a decade of trying to solidify an ability to meditate and I still haven't mastered it but I'd like to, so, yeah. And, and meditation doesn't have to be some crazy woo-woo thing. It can literally just be sitting and breathing. Sitting on the couch. Get the Calm app, for crying out loud. I think you can get it for, you know, a certain part of the app you can have for free. All it's doing is helping you to focus on your breathing and relax and 
you're going to have your mind wander. It takes a long time to get your brain used to being quiet. We are so go, go, go all the time. Put your phone down, put it on silent, turn all the music off, turn the TV off. Kill the cats (gasps) and the dog. (laughs) Sedate your cats and dog. (laughs) Give them a bone, do something. And don't kill them. And then breathe. Just focus on your breathing. Set a timer for five minutes. Just start with five minutes, one time a day. And then maybe in two days, three days, do six minutes, seven minutes. Your mind is gonna wander. You're gonna just have to forgive yourself for that. That's the great thing about the Calm app is as it's telling you to focus on your breathing, it will, you know, every couple of minutes, it'll remind you. So your brain probably wandered off. You're probably thinking about something else. It's okay. Let that go and come back to center and breathe. Find your center and stay there. Don't beat yourself up because you weren't able to do it for 10 minutes right off the bat. You're not going to be able to. I'm still trying. (laughs) So just breathe. Just try it. And try to be a little bit more open-minded and remember that we're all 90 to 100% evolved. There's none of this 38%, 60% bullshit. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We all have values. And guess what? We all value our own lives, the lives of the people that we love. We want to have resources and be comfortable. I mean, all of these common things that we have, we keep forgetting because of fear and propaganda and bullshit. Don't let it get you. Final thoughts. We got through the episodes. I'm happy. I'm very happy we went through. And I hope that soon enough we can uh, come to a little bit of... uh, Common ground as far as uh, feeling comfortable. Here's hoping we don't go to war. A lot of things going on right now. A lot of craziness in the world. Try to take time. Be grateful. Try not to take things for granted because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I love my country. I love. Okay, we both served our country. We both love our country. Yes. It doesn't matter who the president is. Let's just think about individual connections right now. Let's focus on that. And if we can make our individual connections better, it will ripple out like a pebble in a pond. As Bruce Lee would say, be like water. Yes. Don't, when you're pointing your finger towards the moon, don't look at the finger or you will, you will ignore all of the moon's glory. Did Bruce Lee say that? It was one of the movies. You'll miss out on all of the glory of the moon. I, I can't remember which movie it was, but it was... You're terrible, Bruce. I misquoted. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh. Now we've gotten through it. I still encourage people to watch it. It is a hard watch. If all you do is just listen to us blab about it, I think that's a good start. Um, If you have comments or questions or you've watched the documentary and you have some differing opinions or you want to come on and talk to us about it, please email us. SomedayDeadPC at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at SomedayDeadPC. We're on Facebook at Someday Dead. Someday we'll all be dead podcast. Yeah, you find me on Facebook. <laughs> Nobody Matt knows Childs. your last name. Matt Childs. You can find me on Facebook if you want to just talk to me not on the on the podcast. You can find me at Hallie Harris. I'm there. There's no hiding me. You get what you see, what you get. You know, there's there's no pretense here. I'm willing to listen to anybody's opinion at any time. If if it's different than mine, that's what this podcast is supposed to be about. Brand. Let's get to know each other. Let's find out what the differences are. Maybe you'll change my mind. Who knows? Or maybe we'll come to an impasse and we'll just have mutual respect. That's okay too. You know? 
couple of veterans talking to people who might or might not be veterans. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Because someday... We'll all be dead. <laughs>